you are listening to the official Scottish Rugby podcast and we are very much in Santa's Grotto here. I mean... <laughs> Where are we? Well, you're in Lapland, apparently. I think, I think the Christmas jumpers came out the same box as the Christmas decorations. You know, that Christmas decoration smell. <laughs> <laughs> the box that comes out the attic every year. Must say, I think this jumper's... Three of us could fit in there. It's, uh, it's plenty of room. Yeah. <laughs> It's just as well, because it's freezing in here and I've not had to take my underlayers off. I can just put this on top, so I serves like, a purpose. It, it looks like nice, a scene so. fell. You look so. great. Thanks very mm-hmm. much. Thanks, I've got. I've just had my ears pierced. <laughs> it's, uh, right, fair to say, I am very festive. I get very excited <laughs> at this time of year. Where are you on the scale? I used to be. <laughs> no, I of course, it's great. Love, love Christmas. Mm. Are you there yet? No. No. <laughs> uh, Takes a bit. Nah, it's, it's good. It's good fun. It's... Um, it, it used to be like pure Christmas. Now, kind of rugby gets in the way a wee bit. As a player, you could never really have the, I suppose, the Christmas experience you had when you were younger because there was always games. And even even playing amateur rugby, I remember Gala Melrose was a Boxing Day clash. So it was always a you know, Christmas morning, then your mind was pretty much by the evening on to what's going to happen at the Green Yards on the other day or the next again day. But, and then when you become professional, Sorry, that's my my jumper's <laughs> even jingling when I move. Uh, you've got the eighteen seventy two cup, so it, it and you're training in between and you're preparing in between. But yeah, now that I'm retired, you can make more of that, I suppose. Oh, do you know what? Go. Well, listen, I'm going to get you a head start because I've got your wee something. Oh no, I have. I've got your wee gift, but it's a nice one. It's not. It's not a jokey one. I promise. Right here we go. I thought <laughs> to go. Oh, there you go. I put it on to now. Go, uh-huh, you can put that on Thank now. Thank you very much. There you go. There is your My Name's Doddy Foundation Oddballs. What's going on? Brightly coloured bubble hat. Is it no clash with <laughs> the Christmas jersey? Badly. I, I, it is looks right? horrendous with that jumper. <laughs> well, I'll take it off from now then. I do. Let's put it off your... even, Thank you very much. Even if you're colour blind, that'll, still, uh, that'll set, set the light alight. Uh, but what a year. This is us. This is the end of, end of the year. Yes. What at Christmas again? It's mad, isn't it, how you... Your year's broken up into segments of rugby. Um, well, mine's is, I don't know. I suppose yours is as well. Um, and it just flies by. The, the first bit's always a bit longer, isn't it? And then the Six Nations, amazing period. But like since summer, since Rugby World Cup till now, it seems to be a, a blink of an eye. And that's the bit that I normally don't know what to do with myself because there's normally a bit in between where it, things do go a bit quieter. It feels like the off-season a wee bit. It starts to build up again slowly, but there's staggered holiday. Well, this year it's a World Cup year. That's not the case. Full on. It's good. <laughs> Full on. And in terms of you know the um, the pro teams in the URC as well, and then obviously we've had the World Cup where pro teams have got a great start to the URC so far. Into European rugby, then you've got the derbies, and then it all starts again. So it's um, yeah, uh, there's an awful lot of rugby. It'll be interesting to see what the the second half of this season, once we get into the new year, looks like. How players will manage their involvement, or, or, or coaches and, and clubs will manage involvement of players who've been in the World Cup, who've not been in the World Cup. Um, yeah, but it's uh, yeah, there's a lot to a lot to look forward to. Well, before we start listening to some clips, and I'm picking them a wee bit, is there any that stand out? We, we enjoy every podcast. I enjoy every podcast. With you, of course. <laughs> but we enjoy every podcast. But are, are there any that have st- maybe surprised you a wee bit? Um, um, I remember the, 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 we were out on with Francesca McGee. I think before she really, well, she'd taken off, but how she's gone on and performed since. Um, it's good. The chat we had with Jim Telfer, Mm-hmm. Before the World Cup was, 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 I mean, we spoke for hours and poor Tom had to do the edit. <laughs> cut about three and a half hours out, but we just couldn't get enough of the chat and reminiscing. Um, 
So they, they, they jump out the... Yeah, there's two main ones that jump out. I don't know what about you. There's a, a bit like you. There are a lot of really good conversations I enjoyed. Peter Horn one. <clears throat> Pete Horn. Sorry, Pete Horn. One and Rambo as well. You know, like there was a yeah. lot of gold within throughout the whole year. One that in the same sort of vein as Fran McGee uh, for me was Katie Mattinson, mm. and that conversation with her, I was just like blown away by her focus on leadership, her determination. So there were quite a few podcasts mm. in there that it's not often when you do the job that you and I do and you get to speak to people for a living and you get to talk to people and ask the, hear about their stories. But it's not often that you get caught uh, mm. by that story and, and hers really did that for me. And that's the important thing, isn't it? Because when you see the, a player on the field, you see the player of the 80 minutes and you often hear this and you hear this time and time again that... Like, that Known the person and knowing what drives them and knowing what frustrates them, sometimes knowing what makes them happy or or even angry, you don't really get when you see eighty minutes and that's it. So to to get time to spend to chat about things and you actually probably see a trend in how similar a lot of top level sports people are. There's trends that run through that that you know, you maybe don't see obviously when they're playing, but when you get to know them and you're chatting through this, is yeah they're all pretty similar. They're all pretty determined, mm -hmm. can be frustrated, can get angry, um, probably don't give themselves enough pats in the back. Um, everybody will deal with disappointments in different ways, but uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of similarities in there, so we're going to hear a few as well, aren't we? A we few are. highlights. Shall we open the vault? Let's let's kick off then. Who was your 20s crop in the back row? Who did you compete with and are you still competing with them now? So the uh, 20s was uh, Matt Ferguson, he yeah. was like eight, so it was like... Blair was in that one as well. Yeah, it? Blair was yeah. in it. But you were more a six back then, Darcy, eh? yeah. Six? Mainly six back then, yeah. yeah. I was like second row 18s, but I managed to escape that pretty quickly. I was like, <laughs> trying to tell the coaches, listen, I'm actually too far. I've actually got speed here, so I can't <laughs> be trapped in here too long. Uh, but yeah. So I, Matt would be eight or six so, then. Yeah. And, and was you, that before, because you're older than Kiddy Darge and. Yeah, older old. than Darge. Uh, so my group was like kind of Charlie Shield, Darcy, mm -hmm. yeah. Blair. Uh, under 20s was good we came like uh, fifth like, mm -hmm. in the Georgia under 20s junior world cup because yeah. that, that was that was, a, that was cool. John Dale wasn't it and, it, it, yeah. and that was a mm -hmm. that's the highest ranking that the yeah. under 20s have had uh, and then if you look at what's happened after this weekend with the Scotland national mm -hmm. side as well you've yeah. reached fifth for the second time uh, last time I think it was 2018 uh -huh. uh, so I'm going to throw it out there like, and I'm going to say it's all me it's all me lucky number <laughs> five yeah. I'm going to put it out there <laughs> back in the second row <laughs> <Yeah. ready. laughs> that famous lucky number five who's <laughs> someone else isn't it what, what I mean like what a player so I remember earlier this year at the end of last season I was hosting the Edinburgh Rugby Awards <laughs> and he spent more time on that stage collecting awards than mm. I did he got he got Man of Steel for best defensive stats for the season. He got the fans' favourite, the, the Collie Lug, after Chunks' mm -hmm. years. Uh, he got uh, Players' Player of the Season, and he got Player of the Season. And it, it sums it up, and that was last season, and that he's continued right through. Yeah. I just, he's a coach's, well, he's everybody's favourite, but he's a coach's favourite, Luke Crosby, because he's so consistent, he's so tough in and under Brayton, and think a, a, a real standout performance was when Edinburgh beat Saracens in Europe. Um, in January, I think mm. would it have been as long as January? Probably would have been January, yeah, just after Christmas just last after year. Turn, yeah. And it kind of propelled him probably at the forefront of the of the national coach. He started the first two games in the Six Nations last year, 
Um, and obviously still having a massive contribution now. He, he gives a level of performance, but it's also a couple of things from that that is in such a competitive back row, be it for club and country. Mm. So you have to be, um, but it shows you how many good good quality kind of players you have in that in that position. And and looks being absolutely flying still is another thing is how many of those under twenties he played with are now the the mainstay or, or or so important to the the national team at the moment and, yeah. and will be going ahead in the next couple of years. I mean, as as players go, he's all, he's also he's solid, isn't he? He's a cool head as well. And you can hear that there. He, yeah, he's so le- he's so level. And and actually, you know, he's doing a international business management or something. He's Is also, he? Yeah, he's doing a degree. So in fact, the night that he won all of those awards, you'd think the lad would be giving himself a hard-earned pint, mm. but he had exams the next day. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's doing all of this alongside his studying, and he just. Mm. Gets his head down and, and carries on. So. You know, he plays loads of positions. It kind of tint, uh, hinted at it there in terms of number eight, number six, number seven. It doesn't look, sound like he wants to go back to the second <laughs> no. row. Keep him there, but it is so valuable and he, he performs in every one of them. And the roles are different. Um, but yeah, top season and you just know we, we look, there'll be more to come. I can't wait to see it. Right, on to the next then. You wind the co- clock back a wee bit here. You did mention COVID there. That was quite disruptive to some degree in terms of your own journey and you're, you're relatively new to the sport. Yeah, so I started in 2018 and then in, so I started at a club in Preston Pans. Mm. Had you played any rugby before that, Francesca? Not any rugby, no. What not got I, you along? Sorry, say that what again. What got you along So I, my mum saw a Facebook post Classic um, social media. Yeah, I was like, this is cool. <laughs> so I went along and it was just so much fun. I loved it. I played lots of sports. Um, although I was a dancer at the time, so I danced at the Conservatoire of Scotland. Um, and it was totally different. Mm-hmm. And I just liked a new challenge and it was so different. And I met a great group of people. And then 2019, I moved to Watsonians. Um, and then obviously COVID. Um, and I was still too young for the first few months to play for Watsonians, yeah, so then COVID, and then, what, last year and a half, it started back up again, so yeah. Mm. And you're playing playing for Scotland, international (laughs) test rugby, aiming for your third cap. How does that trajectory feel for you when you're saying this out loud to us? Because I don't know about you, Mossy, but I'm I'm fairly impressed that in 2018, that was the first time that you Mm. touched a rugby ball, and now you're representing your your country with full international honours. Yeah, it's... um, it's quite unbelievable. Um, like I sometimes still struggle to get my head around it. Like the first game after England, mm. I was like, I that didn't like I just <laughs> didn't feel like I just played for Scotland. Like it was nothing like I'd ever done before, and I was not expecting to be called up at all. Um, so even just like even just being here is so like fantastical. Like it's crazy. So yeah. But you had success in the the Celtic Championship as well. So you were Watsonians and then prior to the Six Nations, of, what was it? Uh, was it January, February time? Feb- the games? Yeah, February time. Uh, February time. And you had success here playing a couple of games. That, and you obviously got to play alongside some of the players here. But that must have given you confidence as well. Yeah, it definitely, um, like you say, it gave me confidence. Mm-hmm. But it also sort of like bridged the gap between just club training and then futures mm-hmm. training and then coming in here. It was a lot... Well, there was familiar faces, but also just like the routine and the intensity of training and stuff. It def- definitely bridged a gap, which was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Which they, good, yeah, I was so going to yeah. say that that's really interesting hearing you saying that because that's ultimately from the powers that be, they'll be very happy about that because that is ultimately the, the intention, isn't it? So did you feel that to be the case? Yeah, no, there was um, even from last year in futures because we played England under 20s. 
Um, and then to this year, the Celtic Challenge, the steps are getting so much closer together, which is a lot easier for younger players coming through. Nine starts in nine appearances for Scotland, Fran McGee. Yeah, that was the one the, when you asked before that stick out because that was before, I'm not sure if they cut the caps, but that was before the Kenny Wonder try against Ireland and then the level of performance she keeps delivering, delivering. You think when somebody so young comes into a game, an international game, who she hasn't had a lot of rugby experience, you know, just 2018 picked she up. Hadn't had any. Yeah, very little rugby experience. Yeah. And then I remember there was a game, I think, at Ravenhill or, or Kingspan, where um, I think Kelly Challenge, where she did really, really well and then came into the national set. But it's a brilliant story for somebody who's maybe not played a lot of rugby or been involved in a huge amount of rugby to apply themselves to come in and then with the space of six months just take on and, and effectively run round established international stars at the top level. It was, it's brilliant. And then go on to be nominated for World Breakthrough, Player World Rugby's year. Breakthrough Player mm. of the Year and, and continue to develop and deliver in WXV. It's, it's a brilliant story and, you know, I can't even, the tries that she scores are why people, well, people like me go and watch rugby because it is, it's it's individual brilliance, it's evasion, it's pace, it's power. It, um, Time and everything. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, says a lot for, for her, obviously, but also back to that environment of um, how do you get the best players in the field and how do you prepare them for, you know, without a huge amount of experience for, for what they're to come up against. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty top year. I think there's a lot of pressure on players at times to be role models when ultimately they're athletes and that's just part of the job that comes with it. But she is a real example of a great role model as well. She's somebody that I think people can aspire to. And I remember telling you at one point, I was in the gym one day and I struck up a conversation with a couple of girls who love the rugby, listen to the podcast, and, and she came up. Mm. We talked about, about Fran, about the fact that she hadn't picked up a ball before. Mm. And that really resonated with them. They'd, they'd listen to the story and and actually given that confidence to go in and do it and I, I guess I guess it's just a great advert for the game um, in my mind and she's just a great role model and then after the Six Nations I'm going to get my years mixed up here but I'm sure she scored a couple of brilliant tries in the cup final for Watsonians as well 21-22 that was or was yeah. that just this was that last year that was, was this year yeah. was that this year she did yeah, that yeah just that this year as well so like you're taking your international form Six Nations level into the club environment and just underlining, you know, the, the player you are. It's, uh, yeah, big year. Oh, she's got exciting things ahead of her. In a, a short space of time, you cut your teeth at Ayrshire Bulls yeah. and we're now, and having had history before that too, but you're also now getting a taste of the Scotland national setup. So how do you, as an individual, set your targets for the next part of your career? I guess I've not really had a minute to think. Um, like when I got into it, I was like, I was like, to, obviously I spoke a lot with Kirsten about it. I was like, this is a family decision. You know, if I'm going down this route, it's going to be full on. Um, and like, like it makes me emotional thinking about it. Like she's been like amazing with me about it, you know, and like her and the kids, like I'm really insecure about being a, a sloppy dad, if you like, not being back there with the, the kids as much as I probably could have, because it is so all-encompassing. Like, but um, she was just like, "Oh, babe, like the thought of you going <laughs> to work in a suit or something." She started laughing, you know, and I was like, "What? I could do? <laughs> I could go to work in a suit? I could go and sit at a desk?" She's like, "Nah, you just annoy everyone. <laughs> like, you'd just be talking and like, you'd, you know, people would you'd never give anyone a minute's peace." 
you'd never get anything done. So she was like, nah, you have to be out there like doing your thing. So like it's, um, yeah, she like, and I guess when I thought I go, I was like, right, I'm I'm gonna chuck myself into this. I'm gonna give it everything I've got and mm. and see where it takes us. And I was like, you know, if I'm like rubbish at it, I'll I'll find someone else. You know, so yeah, like it's real early at the moment. And things I've been like so lucky. Like I said, the group of boys that I've got have done have been amazing, and that makes you look better than you probably are. Um, and then that's helped you know it's kind of jumped on to, to things i've had a couple of other opportunities that i've been really really lucky with and like i said it's just been a whirlwind that i've been loving and yeah it's been it's been good well he says it'll take you know see where it'll take him and it's taken him to a full-time position within mm. the scotland setup and richly deserved as well yeah just announced earlier this month peter horn um assistant coach of scotland he'll still work I think and spend a bit of time in Edinburgh and Glasgow with the, with the players, the young players. Do you think that's important? Just I think so it is, to, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it. it's worked in the past, hasn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah. And, and if, I mean, Pete obviously played for a long time. Um, he started as a, a professional player at Glasgow really quite young um, and was a, a mainstay of the, the team in a, a number of different positions. And another, sounds exactly what we're saying about Luke, but like a, a coach's favourite, sounds like the wrong thing, but a, a player that a coach can totally depend on, even when he's, potentially not playing even when he's not selected or he's in a bad time because the standards he's set for others and his behaviours are incredible and that's continued as a coach he's coach with Stirling he's coach with Ayrshire Bulls he's coach as a head coach in Super Series he's been assistant coach he's um, worked at Glasgow worked with Scotland so he's and he's gaining all that experience along the way but you can tell just into that how much rugby means to him and and how how much he's driven to be part of it so that was one of that was one of the conversations we said at the start, like that jumped out. I remember, and just as it, you know, listen back to the clip, I can still see him almost lying mm. back in that sofa out at Orium, just opening up and telling us absolutely everything. He was he was so open, and actually, I think that it you really got that feeling for it for what it, what what he's put into it and what they as a couple he's really thought about this. And making sure it all works out, it's nice that he's now here in this side, going into this kind of Six Nations coming forward. He he knows exactly what he's signed up to and mm. what the family has, and yeah, and that's only he's half passionate of it. about it. That's only half of it, mm. and that's arguably the hardest half. The other bit is having a knowledge and understanding and ability to identify the key message you want to get across as a coach and, and get across. And Pete's role, he won't have as much time coaching as he'd want because you're an assistant coach and with a, a national team that doesn't get a lot of time on the field and there's three or four other assistant coaches, head coaches, all needing to do their defence, their line at their scrum, their contact, their breakdown, your attack, your strategy. So a real key um, component of that is knowing, uh, knowing your message, but actually getting it across and delivering, working on delivery. What helps that is just being a really honest person that is able to communicate and link really well with players. And I mean, you, you can hear that there, how... Whatever he says, it means, and the and, and the players will, will really buy into that. But it's a challenge. It is a real challenge for for coaches to to work on that delivery. But it's something that Pete does really well. He's just a really really good egg, isn't he? He's a really nice bloke. Um, he has to coach his wee brother as well. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> it's in, in fact, in that podcast, we did speak to him about that, and he was saying how it is a wee bit different yeah. now as well, being in like you know, the mm. ch like I guess the the camp environment. He's now with the grown-ups, I suppose. <laughs> Just to sit at the front of the bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, slightly different. Right, let's hear now from Katie Mattinson. When you're talking about, as a wee girl, watching the Scotland men play in the Guinness Six Nations and looking up to them 
and aspiring and saying, I want a piece, of, I, w- I want to be out on that field. Now that you are able to do that and you're representing Scotland in the TikTok Women's Six Nations coming up as well, how does it feel for you to have come full circle and to think about that wee lass that was in the stands at a packed out BT Murrayfield Stadium so many years ago? Oh, I'm hugely proud. Like the there definitely was that sense of ambition from a young age and um yeah it's incredible like i left my high school at 16 and said to my p teachers i'm going to be a professional rugby player and it didn't exist and now that's my job like that's like the coolest thing ever um and hopefully it means that like when girls say that to their p teachers now they don't scoff and go yeah all right Katie. like now it's now it's a real dream and that's super cool and i hope that we can start to influence as many people as possible because even if you don't play for Scotland, if you don't play for your country, you get that sense of community and that sense of like um, belonging in your club or your school or whatever it is that like rugby gives you that really safe environment where you can just be yourself no matter who you are. Like the more people that we can expose to that, in my opinion, the better. I think it's um, like I think it's super special. So of course, Katie was uh, born in Inverness, and then I think she moved to Northumberland when she was about three. She got seven caps for England. Mm. But what really struck me during that chat, because you, you weren't actually here for that when you were you were abroad at that point, um, he, she she just had this real um, how did I say, determination, as we've said before. But it, she had a real appreciation for the family feel that the mm. Scotland women's camp has. She really went on about the community and about how you know she got a wee bit of ribbon when she arrived, <laughs> as you'd expect. Of course, <laughs> yeah, had to be done. <laughs> had to be done. But then actually, what she felt was her words were like she she really felt at home yeah. here, and it was that, just lovely. That's really important to know that, uh, and because we assume that's the case. And from my experiences of playing in Scottish teams, be club or international. Like yeah, that's what you feel. But you're like for someone who's been exposed to another international camp, to come and say that, it underlines that you know it is a, a welcoming camp and and what we think the environment's like it is. Like it does underline that. Um, and she's coming at a camp that's real competitive. Jenny Max obviously done her knee just mm-hmm. was it the end of last mm-hmm. year just or bef- just well recovery. certainly must be over a year uh, a year or so. Uh, Mary McDonald probably finished the season starting more games than Katie. So she's came into a, a really, you know, competitive environment as well. And there's still that welcoming family feel to it. So it's uh, it's good to, I mean, we know that that's the case anyway, but, but to have it underlined um, is, is uh, I suppose, it, it does exactly that, it underlines it in a competitive environment where the results have just been getting better and better over the, the 12 months. It's, it's Scotland women will have a, a big 12 months ahead of them because it's been a big 12 months past. Um, but there's a there's a lot of the, the core of the team got to stick together, got to you know, improve undoubtedly. They've improved massively and the results have shown that. WXV2 trophy. But they want to get better. Um, and with a lot of consistency and you know the, the players have got then let's hope the the continuation improves and or the, the, the improvement continues and um, we can get ripped into the, the Six Nations come March I think when it starts mm-hmm. knowing that you know France and England are still WXV1 mm-hmm. you know real competitors they are still probably on a different level but that gap's definitely closing so we said it earlier, didn't we? We've had a lot of amazing conversations this year. One that stuck out for us is Stuart McAnally. And this one was before the World Cup squad mm. announcements. It was during the summer tests. Um, 
and it was just a really interesting chat getting to see that side of him. Yeah, and somebody I played with, um, uh, and kind of knew how good a player he was and how good a person he was. But again, we, we spoke right at the, the start about understanding and what type of people we have that, that play international rugby, and everybody's different. But in terms of Rambo and his leadership and his thought that goes into the game and his intelligence, it was brilliant. You didn't have a crystal ball in 2013, but you do have the benefit of hindsight now from that decision. How do you feel about it reflecting back, making the switch from back row to hooker? Oh, yeah, it was the best thing for me, wasn't it? Like, I do feel the quality of back rows coming through now, like, I'd, I would I would struggle to compete with these guys. I'd, I've got no problem saying that. Like, you look at something like Luke Crosby coming through, mm. like, he is, I would say coming through now, he's not even coming through, he's well established, but when he was coming through, I remember thinking, quite glad I moved to hooker because <laughs> this is what I'd be competing with, like, just so physical, so strong and skillful. <clears throat> um, but I just, I just, I guess I kind of loved the challenge. I loved learning. I, I love learning. It's a big part of like what I am, and I've always enjoyed it. So um, I saw it as something new to try, and um, if it didn't work out, I always kind of had an eye on what I wanted to do anyway. But also, like, I look at where I am now, and if I if I finish my career where I am now, 170 odd games for Edinburgh and 47 Test caps. Like, if you told me that. Mm. At day one, when I moved to position, I'd have bitten your hand off. Well, that's an interesting place to pick up on then with Rambo, I suppose, because he got his 47, he got his 48, he got his 49, and he didn't get his 50th. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's um, that's sport. We said it at the time, okay. and, and you know, what Rambo said there was he'd be happy to finish 47. That's because mm-hmm. he realises what he's had to put in to get to that. He got to 49, and he realises that you don't. Get gifted anything he wouldn't he wouldn't want he wouldn't have wanted a token or anything because the type of person is and how hard he works so of course he didn't get and there was a lot of kind of water that went under the bridge between that point and then where we got to now with when his final retirement having been left out of the national squad then into the national squad then picked up an injury so it's just more more examples of what professional sport is or what all sport is it's sometimes not well very rarely a fairy tale um but I remember back to that interview and, and just being struck by how, I don't know, how sensible, I know he's sensible anyway, but how just clear in, in terms of what he wants to do next, how he applies himself in, in the game, even there, listening to saying he's almost doubting himself as a back row player against the quality back that comes in. I played with him when he was a back row and he was brilliant as a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, you know, um, playing at number eight. You know, he's a brilliant player, brilliant person um but didn't get that fairy tale ending but didn't need know, it he, he wouldn't want it unless mm-hmm. it's earned unless it unless it's deserved and of course it'd been deserved but it didn't happen um and as i say is uh well he's, he was happy in 47 he was delighted for 149 well i tell you what was great about rambo as well is that after he retired <coughs> he got all of his boots and he put them up for auction <coughs> and he raised a daft amount of money for Chas mm. for the children's mm. charity. And I just think that's awesome. That's exactly who he is, mm. isn't it? Uh, I'd very happily be a passenger in Stuart McAnally's uh, commercial airlines, <laughs> his flights. I wonder if he's the, got a spare pair. In the future. Did he keep a, a pair back? He must boots? have. I haven't asked him, but he must Casey, have. Uh, Casey fancies a game. <laughs> <laughs> have you kept a pair? No, well, no, only for coaching. <laughs> the plain ones are longer. Old predators. <laughs> Long gone. <laughs> okay. And now on to the youngest member of the Rugby World Cup squad. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Ollie Smith. Good knowledge. 
Your dad is the stuff of legends yeah. at Scotson. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and, and, and frankly, the big question is, you know, all going well if you're on the, on the, got a seat on the plane to France, is that trumpet going with him? Yeah, uh, yeah I think it is. <laughs> well, he's, so he, he, um, he loves, he's really into his cars uh, and his dream car is of like a Ford Escort Mark 1 or something, I don't know, MK4 or something, I don't know. His dream cars are Ford Escort. Yeah, there's obviously a historical. I did not see that. There's a story. Yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> he's really he was really into rally when he was a kid. Ah, okay. he was a kid yeah, so ah, Ford Escorts, okay. and he got one two weeks ago maybe. Oh, nice. And he's he parked it up in Presswick, and his plan is to drive it across to France and drive it through France. Well, if, that right there's your motive, isn't it? Well, I asked him uh, if his dad did take the car over, but I haven't heard back from him. He is still training today, though, so I uh, wonder if he did or not. But certainly it was great to see Ollie get over there and, and a real learning experience for him as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably not had as much rugby of late as, he, as he'd won. Um, I think when Blair's form at 15 in around you know, the Scotland camp, it made it really difficult for Ollie to, to get in. Um, but he obviously had an involvement uh at Rugby World Cup, he'd be frustrated to yellow card against Ireland, and that's a learning moment for him. Um, but obviously, he, he would have loved that experience. Um, still got so much to offer, still so young. You said it there, the youngest, I didn't know that. Youngest squad member in the Rugby World Cup. And I sometimes think you forget how young some of the players are when you when you get used to seeing them for even a season or two seasons. You, you, I don't know, you automatically assume they're 23, 24 because they've, they've been in the public eye. But... Um, yeah, like he's uh, he's so much to offer um, for for Glasgow and for Scotland. Um, and I'll have a had a taste of rugby world cup that will only inspire him to uh, to be part of it again in the future. Well, let's hear now from Scotland women's head coach Brian Eason. That opportunity to be going out to South Africa to be playing South Africa, USA, Japan. What are your thoughts looking ahead of that tournament? Um, excitement. Um, I think the growth of this squad is the one part that we just want to keep playing now you know we had two really good victories at the end of six nations and we've gone and backed it up against spain at the weekend which is which is brilliant and i think when you get three games on a bounce like that you just want to keep going so to be able to play south africa in their own backyard uh next a week on friday in Stellenbosch is is really exciting for us um we just want to we want to get out there and get going it's like we're talking about the mm. island game we just want to get going now um so leave on thursday get out there and we've got a good week's training before we play them and then it's seven day turnarounds yeah, as well which is three games on a bounce but seven day turnarounds makes a big difference there's not a six day there's a it's a seven day so it's every friday um which is great so it allows you a good rest time allows us to to really recover properly and then and then go we've got a good group of 30 but we'll, we've said and we've been very clear we'll pick the team that we think is right to win that game it's you know we want to go out there and win win those three games wxv2 well, I mean... What was he worried about? I know. <laughs> yeah. Surely after... Uh, I mean, he's looking back at the end of 2023 going, right, we're we're building into a good place here. Absolutely. And and what he said there was almost... Like, you could tell he was so well prepared for what happened in WXV2. Spoke about the three different types of challenges they're going to face in, in terms of three opposition. Uh, the challenges of, you know, three games back to back. And we said it at the time, but the levels of performance were so composed 
yeah, there was mistakes, of course. There's got to be mistakes in every game you play. Um, but there weren't rabbit caught in the no, headlights. No, and, and when we they were under pressure. that in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Times. Under pressure in the first game, certainly uh, in the scrum against South Africa, so that they managed a way, scoring tries from malls, scoring wide tries, and then they kind of then asserted loads of pressure on, on Japan, the final game through their scrum. Uh, and, you know, that was the building block of the platform for the win. So the the team through Brian's you know preparation and, and, and experience found different ways to win against different opposition and did it really well under pressure away from home and yeah delivered a a, a trophy which is uh, which is brilliant. On to our Scotland captain then and I mean, when we think about Jamie Ritchie, I, I always think he's just such a cool head, and he's, you know, we've seen him having man of the, we've seen him having player of the match performances recently for Edinburgh, and, uh, and an interesting choice from Everett not to elect him as a captain to allow him to focus on his rugby and his captaincy with the national side, but you know he, he could manage both, I'm sure. But so it is great to see his his form at Edinburgh too this season. Yeah, I mean his, his form of late has been. Absolutely brilliant. Um, you think of that performance against Ulster recently? Um, his performance is hive. He um, he's he's been outstanding, and I, I think it is very difficult to captain your country and your club. I think because of the not that you couldn't do it, but the the amount of time you're away from your club if you captain your country, I think makes it difficult to captain both. So it's it's necessarily not down to your your skill set or your ability. It's actually what's right for for you and what's right for the club. So so I. I quite like that idea. Um, he's as combative as ever. He had a, you know, ultimately a tough World Cup in many ways because he he was injured early in two of the three games that he played in. Um, but such a, you know, again, wax lyrical about these these players that we've got the men's players and the women's players. But yes, it's, it's a, a a top lad who plays hard, fights for absolutely everything. Um, he really cares as well. And, and I know does. that shouldn't make a difference. Like, he's ultimately, you've got to be a leader. It looks different. But from, from a fan's perspective, he, he just really cares. They and all I, do. They all, they all do. They Nobody all do. doesn't. Um, but, but, you you know, and he's, he's very... Um, his presence, his time that he spends mm. with the fans, like you know, it really strikes me as well. Blair Kinghorn's another example of that. They all spend time going through the tunnel, uh, the bridge between uh, Scottish Gas Murrayfield and High Stadium. But but there are ones that are, you have to drag in and put a coat on because uh, uh, yeah. they're out there that long. And and he spends time with the fans. And, and that's my one of the reasons is Scottish captain. Mm. How is that relationship then in terms of it's a, a journey, it's growing as well. You, you you are now embedded in that captain's role. You've had time to, to get used to it. You're very much involved with it. How, how do you feel that relationship works between you? Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, I think we both kind of know how each other works. And like, I'll, my, I like to be in a position of where I, like if I can try and know as much of what's going on, then I feel like I can kind of help facilitate everyone else being kind of comfortable with it. So yeah, Gregor, I'll ask Gregor if there's stuff going on or for what we're thinking for this day or that day or is there guys that you need me to keep an eye on or anything like that? So yeah, I think it's good that and he trusts me with that that information and he, I think he knows as well that if I don't necessarily agree with someone, I think we should do something slightly differently and around scheduling or what we're doing that day, then then I can come to him with it and it's not necessarily seen as like a criticism or anything like that. So yeah, it's it's good. We're in a good spot, I think, and the leadership on the whole I think is like that as well. Like it's not just it's not just me and Gregor 
calling all the shots. Like it's very much a team effort from from the guys who are in that thistle group to make decisions, and I'll lean on them like for certain parts of it like massively, and they they probably take more control of it than I would. And yeah, I think that's really important because I, like I don't want to have to be dealing with everything. Like it doesn't suit me to be like that, and like the people have their own strengths and and things. I'd rather just kind of settle into how I want to do things and and let and let the other guys take the lead on some things. Sharing the load, I suppose, but it's interesting. I'd be keen to ask you about that. How important that relationship is between a head coach and and a captain, and making sure that that well yeah. that you have the communication. I suppose it's really important. Probably more important now than ever before because the the players are a bigger. No, same a bigger part of the process, but they're more involved in the process of setting the game plan, setting the structure, setting the. He talks about scheduling in the week and when meetings are. Whereas, again, go back a few years, it was it was more tell like the coaches would then we would just all blindly follow. But as the get, forwards like as we just well, exactly. Um, no, but like it is, it is a more collaborative approach. So that relationship has to be really strong, and it, obviously it is strong. You can hear that there, and strong enough to challenge each other to say, you know, if if. Play quite often as a captain, your role is to represent what the players' view is to the to the coach or to the, the coaches. It might not be your view, but if 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 you're representative of the, the bigger body of players, say, listen, it usually revolves on tiredness or length of meetings or how long you're training. You might think as an individual, I've not done enough. I want to do more. I feel as if we need to cover X, Y, and Z a bit more. But the 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 group as a whole, the Thistle group, which is a leadership group that represents the, the whole squad will come and say, listen, we're doing too much. So you have to kind of go against your own view because it's a minority and say, well, representing the players, I think we, you know, we're doing too much. That's so having really the trust point. Yeah. and then being able to justify why and get to the right outcome that's going to hopefully lead to the best performance is really important. So that's why, I, that's just a one quick wee example, but the relationship and the trust between the, the captain and coach, I think that is more important. It's as important now. It's probably a busier relationship than it used to be. Not to say it was less important back when I played, but it's it's a busier, definitely more two-way relationship. Did you enjoy the captaincy? Um, captaincy's changed. I, I, I'm going to say something that people will probably raise their eyebrows at. Maybe no, maybe they'll just say whooshed. But I think if you need lead as an individual player playing for your country, then you you're probably deficient. I felt that you should have the, the drive, the motivation, all that as a captain, as, a, as an individual player. What the captain has to do is make sure all that drive and motivation is cohesive and it's pointing in the right direction. So it's more an organisational role than a an inspirational role for me. Um, I understand everybody's different, but I, I can't felt as if when I was captain first I had to be that motivator and I could go against contradicting what I'm saying I didn't have to do that and I worried more about everybody else making sure everybody else is okay rather than me and my performances probably suffered a wee bit um, and now that I'm older much older I just think it frustrates me when sometimes when I hear that the the, the captain's criticism for the, the level of performance or application will be right you shouldn't need it if you're an individual I don't think you should need somebody to motivate you or drive you it should be within and the important aspect is making sure it's cohesive. So I probably got it wrong often as a captain, um, but it it gave me more appreciation for the captains I played under once I wasn't captain um, in the years ahead. And, and sometimes it got I sometimes got really frustrated when, as a captain, of course you're responsible, but you felt where you were 
perhaps having to talk to the media or having to make a speech on stage, there would be elements of, of your squad quite happy that it was somebody else that was doing it. So I think making sure you're all cohesive, making sure to share the load, and I only learned that because I'd been a captain and I could support players I played under thereafter. So, And um, you're getting that feeling, aren't you, as well, from what Jamie's saying there too, that that learning that he'll have spoken to other captains, that he's developing his own style as well, that's very much, yeah, there to funnel, as you've said, to to. They're all different in. as well. Mm -hmm. Like leadership's a, a funny, it's kind of a term that's thrown about as if there's one way to do it. There's loads of ways to do it. Mm. I sometimes think we... We're too quick to dismiss kind of natural leaders and more look for a a, a well-rounded leader. Like leaders, leaders have flaws as well. But sometimes I think we some if somebody has a flaw or makes a mistake, it's bad leadership. It might actually be the right thing, you know, like to to show your flaws and yeah. I I think it's a work in progress. I think people have the natural ability to lead, but I also think that it can be worked on and improved. But if you're not a natural leader, I, I, I think you find it quite difficult to do so. It really is great to see Jamie's growth, though, as well. And I suppose, you know, looking ahead to the Guinness Six Nations, Scotland's left the year. OK, the Rugby World Cup might not have went in terms of the results the way that they wanted, but actually there's a platform there and mm. they did their learning straight away. So I'd like to see, I'd like to think we've got a good Guinness Six Nations ahead. I can't wait. Jenny, I can't I wait. Every year it comes around, and it's it, it just so much intrigue around it. Like what happens after a World Cup year? Are Scotland the most cohesive in terms of the players and their coaches and the decision makers sticking together? Ireland have lost a couple of decision makers. You know, England have had some retirements. Wales are, you know, in a ten position and decision makers and changes. And you know, France have made changes. They've got players missing in terms of kind of Olympic sevens. Um, Italy have a change of coach so it seems Scotland are potentially the most Farrell's cohesive Farrell's out uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely so um, but it just adds to intrigue and as always the first the opening weekends will tell us a lot about what the, the next kind of six or eight weeks will look like thereafter Scotland travel to Wales first up um, and you see your eyebrows raised you do, that's it that gets Six that's Nations are into it so hopefully <laughs> you know the, the players can all stay fit and you know, Jamie there, like as a, as a, a leader and a performer, he's in top form at the moment. Um, but that competitive back row jumps up again, and who knows? But it's uh, it's it's definitely worth looking forward to already. Well, you've teed that up nicely. Um, can I just say, can I can I put in a request? Is this jumper you're looking at? <laughs> I, <want> you, <laughs> I forgot I was wearing that. I, <laughs> I know you did. I want you to wear I had that jumper. Had some serious points as well. I was I got a bit serious. I, got, no, I, got, I enjoyed I, it. It's yeah, informative. But, but, yeah, I thought you were kind of listening to my serious point, but you were actually just looking really at hard. what's that guy with that jumper talking so seriously. For? I was waiting for the bells to jiggle. Go and just do one more. Oh, there. Yeah, cracking. As always, uh, it's been a pleasure this year. Thanks Thank for you. keeping it fun and for, <laughs> for finishing on a elf-inspired festive high. We will be back in January with the official Scottish Rugby Podcast. Until then, have a listen. Dig deep in the archives. We've given you a wee glimpse today of some of the some of the highs that we've had over this year, but there's plenty in there. We will look forward to seeing you in the new year. Uh, all of us will be here, apart from our lovely producer, Megan, who is going to be absolutely horrified that we're bringing her in now because she <laughs> likes to sit behind the scenes, doesn't she? She tries to avoid any, any, any praise. Megan, it's been an unbelievable pleasure and a privilege working with you this year. Megan is sadly leaving the official Scottish Rugby podcast. 
but we wish you nothing but the very, very best. And thank you so much for all you've done. As always, you can keep up to date with the latest news and content via scottishrugby.org or via our social media channels. Yeah.